Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Today's episode is sponsored by my Lit Daily Online Yoga Classes. This is an exclusive pass into my personal practice and program that I created from experience as a physical therapist and 20 years developing my lit yoga methodology. There is a different class with me every day, including special monthly live streams, so you can feel your most lit up anytime and anywhere. Get a three-day free trial today by going to movementbylara.com and clicking daily classes. Let's get moving. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through safer and smarter movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Today is Wednesday Q&A. You ask the questions and I answer. Let's start off with art soul movement. She asks, Hi, is there a reason someone's lower back hurts in locust? So locust pose, for those of you who are not as familiar or the way we're going to think of it, even if you are familiar with it, there's different versions of it. You're lying on your stomach, which is known as prone, and your arms and legs are lifting off the ground. So imagine kind of like you're lying face down and then arms and legs lift and your arms can be by your side. And then in some versions, the arms are up by the ears and the legs are lifting as well. And then there's all these other crazy variations where the legs are way up and your arms are underneath you and you're kind of using them to as leverage. But whatever it is, you're doing prone extension. So that means on the stomach extension of the entire spine and the hips and legs are getting into extension as well. And what will happen is if you imagine the line of your back body, it's all in it's all connected. It's like one long sheet. And I've talked about this in, you know, in long back fascial line sheets before. And so the the footy pajama effect, it's like you're putting on pajama feet where the pajamas go over the feet, not a unitard, but you just, it's one piece. You just put your whole pajama on. And so the back fascial line would be that entire area from the underneath your foot across the heel on 
to the calf, to the back of the leg, the hamstrings, across your buttocks, into the low back, and then up the back all the way over the skull. And so if any one area in there is restricted, that will have a pull on some other area. And if any one area in there is not working well or working fire, you know, the motor firing is delayed or not strong, then some other area will do more of the work. And that's kind of the easiest way of looking at it. So when you lift up, if some part of the back is already shortened, it's kind of in a pre-shortened phase. So let's think of like the low back has some scrunchiness to it. And then you lift into extension, that is going to scrunch that area more. It's going to restrict it even more. And, but let's say you're really tight, like up at your, around your shoulders and upper back, lifting up there and extending might in its tightness, pull all the way down to the low back. So generally speaking, when there is a discomfort somewhere, you need to look above and below the area to see what is pulling on that area. What is possibly pulling on the area to cause that compression or what is possibly not working well to pull in that area. So if you don't have a lot of that upper back strength to help lift the body up, the low back is extra loaded to do the job. The other thing is if you're if a person is not in a neutral pelvis, so they're already in a little bit of a tipped anterior t- tilted pelvis, it sets this up every time. So say you go to the ground and you're tipping forward so much the tailbone comes up away from the ground, and that would be more in an anterior tilted pelvis. So you're starting there with that tailbone already poking up more, and then you lift your arms and legs. Well, um, that that space between your low back and tailbone is going to get really compressed and that'll feel not good. So what I tell people to do is imagine a zipper from your pubic bone to uh, right below, but an inch below your belly button, your navel. And you want to press down into the bottom part of the zipper, like where the bottom of the zipper part, like push down into there and then lift up, but hold some tension along that whole zipper line so that you're not spilling your guts or spilling your belly down, which will put pressure on the low back. So that's the biggest reason is just, there's just an imbalance of tension, both from a place of muscular activity and also tension that's just held in the tissues from the way the uh, tissue is organized or being pulled at rest. Uh, Someone else asked me, Tuck1983, what's your self-practice Versus class teaching, like how do you split time or do you combine this? So nowadays in the Corona uh, or COVID-19 virus stage, where we're still doing some social distancing and teaching virtual classes, uh, there is, I'm teaching more and practicing you know, I'm, I'm, I'm demonstrating more during my teaching. So a typical time period. So I teach seven studio classes a week, six to seven studio classes a week at my studio yoga stream, which is in Princeton, New Jersey. Separate from that, I have my lit daily classes, which are all online. And those are mostly pre-recorded, but some live. So there's two different kind of businesses I'm in. 
the, the studio, teaching at the studio, I would usually do in person. And when I'm teaching, I don't, I rarely demo anything, but small amounts. So I'm not practicing at all. But when I'm doing my lit daily, I am often practicing demoing the class as I'm teaching. So I'm talking and doing it. Now with our virtual classes for Yoga Stream, I'm also practicing and teaching those as well, since I don't have any bodies in the room to walk around and observe and teach to. So in answer to your question, I I do try and watch the people in my virtual classes um, when I can see them. Unlike the Lit Daily, it's just a pre-recorded class. I can't see the people, but the virtual ones, I can see them taking over Zoom. So I do, I'm practicing some, I'm looking at them, I'm teaching the class for but I, I still, it's definitely a practice. I'm, I'm, I'm not going full steam, but I'm practicing. But I don't regard it as my practice of the day per se. However, because I am moving a lot dur- during it, my own self practice is not going to be the same as it would would be if I didn't do that at all. So it might be shorter. It might be I do some sequences and some of my reset core stuff. So it's different, but I'm practicing every day in some way. And it's usually an hour of my own practice, but that might be an hour plus when I'm teaching another hour. So that could be two hours. But um, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of the long, short answer of that. <laughs> I'm always better, by the way, when I'm moving more. My body feels way better if I were to do my own practice for an hour, teach something and demo that whole teach, do the online teaching for 45 minutes to an hour, and then take a break and have to do another thing for 30 minutes. I'm way happier in my body if I do that than if I sat and did Zoom calls, which I've also had to do for four or five hours. My body feels so, it doesn't feel tired after doing all that movement. And that's what I always want to tell people is like, it sounds like a lot of practice, but I'm not, it's also not like practice, like I'm competing for something where I'm, it's going, it's like really um, draining me and compromising my immune system because it's so strenuous. It's not that type of, str- I'm, I don't go into strenuous mode. It's, it's challenging and I'm working up a sweat, but, you know, we're made to move and move in that range of, you know, 50 to 70% exertion. Well, you know, a lot of the day. So I hope you're doing that. <laughs> It could be 30% exertion. Okay, next question. Kenmi243 asks, what do you think is the cause of stiff neck in handstand practice? Without looking at you or whoever you're asking for, my, my gut response is always this. You're probably using your head more than you think, using your neck more than you think. So what I see a lot in handstands are people start to get up, like upright in their verticality, the legs and pelvis over the shoulders. And there's either a little bit of fear that comes in, or they're feeling like not as controlled because their core isn't co-contracting, meaning really hugging in on both sides. So they'll lift their head a little bit more. And I call it the brake pad. So if you lift your head a little bit more, your neck becomes like a brake pad. So you can get your legs straight up, and hold yourself there. And I'm not saying you're not using your core, but you're also using your neck. So the extensors of your neck are being shortened and being, and that will give you a feeling of a lot of tension back there. 
Uh, so the best position for your head is it's hard to have the head fully what's called known as the gaze drop, where your head is just you know in a totally neutral position and your gaze is looking back. That's really challenging. That requires a ton of core stability around not just the pelvis, but around the spine and the shoulder girdle as well. And any um, movement kind of swaying back and forth is going is, is to knock you over a lot more. I don't say knock you over, but you'll lose your balance. But you can't rely on your neck for that balance. So you have to tighten those abdominals and tighten, um, not the glutes a lot, but just that hug of pubic bone toward the tailbone and then stabilizing that. And not rely on the lift of the head, the lift of the chin to help you balance. So what I would tell people is when you're working on your handstands, take an L shape with your with your standing split. So you have two hands on the floor and let's say you have your right foot on the floor and they make a triangle. So your two hands are directly under your shoulders and your foot is back forming a triangle. And then your chest is is either between the line of your fingers or a little bit farther forward. So your gaze doesn't have to lift you up. It's your chest that's moving you forward first. And you lean into your chest to help lift you up. But you don't continue to look forward with your head. Your head just looks straight down. So you might be looking along the, the line of you know your, your finger knuckles or something. Maybe your thumb, the, the tips of your thumbs but you don't want to look in front of your fingers. That's my opinion, because when you start to do that, you really can use your neck to balance and it will cause that stiff neck that you're talking about. You can always send me a picture on Instagram, on message me, and I'll take a look at your form. I'm always happy to do that. Andre Ka, could you recommend a good plant-based recipe book? I have many, 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 and I will say some of my favorites are the original ones that I had from long ago. Um, Big caveat here, disclaimer, is I don't use recipes that much anymore. I just, once you've cooked long enough, and I can tell you, I would never have said that a decade ago. So um, that's the caveat though, is I really don't look at my my cookbooks too much anymore, which is too bad, but I just do a lot of things just um, intuitively. But I would, the Colleen Patrick Goudreau cookbook, she has quite a few of them. Color Me Vegan is one of them. Um, I think Vegan for All Seasons or something like that. She has several and I have like three or four of hers. And I just love her cookbooks. They are beautiful that she has all this. um, She she writes about uh, food, but also about veganism. And she just is just an eloquent person. She's, she has a, a lot of different online stuff as well you should look at. But I would get one of her cookbooks. And Rich Roll has an awesome, beautiful cookbook. It's really a more than a cookbook. It's a coffee table book that has recipes in it. And it goes through all of his his family, like how they prepare food. what, um, And they have just, it's gorgeous pictures. And his book is amazing. So I would look at that as well. The rich, the rich roll. It's a coffee table book, but it's like, oh, the plant life or something like that. I didn't prepare for that. I I should have looked at this question ahead of time. So anyway, uh, that's a great one. Rich roll. Okay. One more question. Uh, this person's ask, 
pa- Pavian Nicola, is there some specific reason what causes sitting in Garudasana very hard to do properly? So Garudasana, if you have no idea what that is, that is imagine sitting like crisscross applesauce, but then you slide. So say your left um, ankle is on top of your right ankle and crisscross applesauce, but then you slide so your left knee goes a little bit more to the right and your right knee goes more to the right. So you end up stacking your left knee over your right knee. So it's a deeper pull on the hip tissues. And that is the number one reason it's so hard. It's really hard for people to sit on their sit bones. I'm not being facetious, like to sit upright, um, centered over the sit bones with a nice long neutral spine and a neutral pelvis is challenging on the floor. Maybe not, maybe not on a chair, but on the floor because what to do about those, what to do with your legs. So if you do crisscross applesauce, what people will find is if they've got uh, limited or somewhat limited mobility in their hips, the immediate response will be to rock back in off the sit bones, kind of round, because that puts less of a pull in hip flexion. So imagine that you're making your hip flexion even a greater demand on it as you pull the knee on top of the other knee. But on top of that, you're also giving the external rotators a huge pull because the knee's on top of the knee that rotates the femur. Finally, so you're you're asking your hips to have the mobility to flex and externally rotate with a neutral pelvis. And you're asking your um, back to have the space to do that as well. Because when you do that action of knees crossing over each other and pulling them into center, it pulls on your back fascia more. So there's that's why it feels so tough. And then that can be felt in other places. It, you might not feel it in your back. You might feel it in your knees, but that's all connected the outer knee connected to the hip, connected to the low back. And all of that is uh, is being pulled in some way in that position. So ways that you could get, you could make it a little bit easier. You can get on a block and that can make it a little bit easier. You can lessen the cross of knee over knee. Uh, But what I find is if people can get into it and block themselves up, and then just stay there for a bit. Just the position itself. This isn't. There's not many things you can say this about. I, I think, but just the position itself, without doing anything else, is kind of enough to give you uh, that that stretch, the pull that you're looking for when you're looking for like hip stretch. You don't have to then like lean forward a lot, or it just just the position itself is a lot. So that's why it's so difficult because the position is dramatic enough that it really pulls on the tissue. You don't, you don't, you don't then need to like forward flex or anything else to add to it. So if you're looking for, this is, I'll, I'll just end this Q and A with a little tip because, uh, we are sitting a lot more uh, possibly. Um, but I'm mo- most likely from what I hear, people are writing me and they're feeling even tighter than usual. And it's because we are sitting a lot more. So sitting is, does not mean that you're, because you're in the position of hip flexion when you're sitting, doesn't mean you actually have good hip flexion. So this is the the thing that's hard to wrap your mind around is like, 
if I'm sitting, why is it so hard to sit? <laughs> because good hip flexion does not mean that you're, you're or you're not going to necessarily get good hip flexion from sitting in hip flexion. You have to get that the hip flexors moving and um, with a neutral pelvis to get good hip flexion range. So try this out. Stand up on two feet and stand then on just your left foot and grab your right knee and pull it up towards your belly. So pull it up and use your hands to do that, but don't let any shift happen forward or back in your left foot. Try and stay centered over it. Think about your pubic bone and your tailbone drawing together through the body. So you're trying to stabilize the pelvis in neutral. See how hard or easy that is to passively, because you're using your arm strength and arm movement to get that right hip inflection. Now, slowly take your hands away and see if you can maintain that same position without letting the knee drop at all. And Notice not only if it feels hard from a strength perspective, but also from a perspective of like, you just feel stuck or sticky in the hip. Like it just doesn't want to stay up there because there's two parts. You need the mobility to be able to stay up there on the own and without bringing the um, knee up using your hands. And you then you need the strength to have it stay up there. So it's not just strength, but you need the mobility first to get it up there. Sometimes we can take a position of a joint using our hands, using something passive, but that isn't telling us, can we, do we, are we able to get in that range on our own? So that's a way of working your hip range, your hip flexion um, out of a sitting position and getting the, the hips flexing better so that when you sit like on the ground, preparing for this kind of, uh, seated position, it feels better. It doesn't feel like you're stuck or so hard. I hope that makes sense. It's sometimes really hard to wrap your head around the idea of joint position versus movement at a joint, but we want to have good hip flexion actively and be able to move our hip in flexion so that when we sit in hip flexion, it doesn't hurt us so much, right? That, that's kind of like the, the ending note on this question. So as always, I love getting your questions. Feel free to write me at lara at movementbylara.com or lara at lityoga.com and send me any questions. Keep hanging in there. Keep moving. Keep grooving. Uh, try my classes out if you haven't already. And know that I'm pulling for you each and every day. <laughs>